Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Are you a 3CR subscriber? We really need our listeners to subscribe to the station. Call 03 9419 8377 or sign up online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Living free. Ah, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and acknowledge that this land was stolen and that sovereignty was never ceded. Each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. My guest today is James from Galliamble Men's Recovery Centre, um, a 24-hour residential drug and alcohol healing centre for men in, located in St Kilda. Their recovery program is based on the 12-step abstinence model and, and embraces a holistic treatment approach that recognises that physical, emotional and spiritual needs of Aboriginal people. So I'd like to welcome James to the show. Hi. Hey, yeah. Good. Um, so James, I also want to say that you're also a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. Yeah. Yep. Um, and you're going to be sharing about that as well. Um, so James, on the show we usually start by talking about growing up family things, things that influenced your life and sort of, I guess, influenced the direction your life took. So do you want to talk about early life in your family? Oh, yeah. I um, grew up in um, Western Victoria as a young lad, you know, um, youngest of five children. Um, you know, mum, dad and kids and that. And yeah, um I know it's pretty pretty normal growing up when when you're in that space. You know, yep. it's pretty normal growing up in that space. Um, when you think, then I don't know. I just um, went to school. You know, um, it's like when you when you've been working on yourself for so long, and um, you get cast in to ask where um where how you started all that sort of stuff and being caught up in in now when you cast your mind back all these memories and these these pictures come back because i've come so far from where it all began so you know mum dad used to work on the council mum was mum was unfortunately part of style and gen so I grew up just just a normal kid going going went to school not not real good but you know there was a bit of um bit of hoo-ha going on in the house a, a fair bit of hoo-ha yeah. going on the house and um yeah I I I, I kind of yeah um played footy all that sort of stuff and mm. I just f- fell into everything else. Just everything that everybody else was doing, you know. Yeah. So, what was life like at school? Well, I was, I probably hardly ever attended school, right, yeah. because of so much going on at home. Yeah. Um, but I was a. It's it's going to sound weird. I was a really happy-go-lucky kid. I um was pretty popular at school. Every sport I could play and got along with you know the other kids really well. And because we had a big family group. So when you went to school, you just other kids, you know. Yeah. I, I actually didn't, it's going to sound stupid, I didn't realise there was other white kids, there's white kids in the world before I went to school. Because <laughs> like, yeah. I grew up in the house, like my dad's white, you know, and um, you, you grow up in these fair-skinned people who sat there, but they're not really, really white. There's like these white kids at school when I first, I remember catching the bus 
on the main road and going going to school and the bus driver and all that because being the youngest you take the other kids around the, the schools the bus stop and all that sort of stuff and then we're at the school it was really daunting and all that sort of stuff and you see like these white kids with blonde hair and blue eyes and because we, we we lived in our own family unit yeah, you know? yeah. And, and, and that was really freaky for me yeah so, uh, the school was like I, I was, I'm a real good football player. Like I'm in my fifties now, and I'm still good at it. But I'm um, being good at sports and, and and having like a really good network of, of like mainly cousins and that. Like yeah. school was school was almost an escape from home when you think about it. Mm. You know. Um, but other than that, like when when Dad was working, he was working. Sometimes we go to school. Sometimes we wouldn't. Yeah, mum was always, because un, unfortunately, past all and Jen, she's just always drinking and all that sort of stuff, and a bit of havoc would go on inside the house, and you you wonder why things weren't weren't going well. And it was only until I got older, like my mid-teens, and I realised this isn't normal, all this sort of stuff. And jump forward, you, you kind of like start questioning all this sort of stuff, and you that's when shame kicks in. Mm, yeah. You know. Yeah. That's when shame kicks in about what what you've gone through is not is, isn't normal, you know. You don't know that. Were you um, part of you know growing up in an alcoholic home, which which I did as well, um, is not telling people outside the family what's going on inside. Did you did you have that issue that you couldn't really talk to people? Uh, not at school, no, nah. no, nah, mm. not, not at school. Like um, I, I remember in like grade six. I went to one of my mates' houses for dinner, right? Mm. And they all sat at the table, mate, dinner. <laughs> you know, and the conversations are normal, this out. But one thing I did notice about white kids, white kids swear at their parents. Yeah. Black kids don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, well, it, it's not, the only place we didn't talk about this sort of stuff was at school. Because yeah. everybody else in our neighbourhood was all the same. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, um, I think uh, one of the guys mentioned earlier in the in the, in the coffee shop, um, demographic. Mm. He kind of got grew up in the same demographic, mm. so you think that all that, yeah, no, that, the yeah. alcoholism and the dysfunctional behaviour when it comes from the bottom or to, to the top, is is normalised. You know, like, mm. and unfortunately, like, it's it's like um, you liken it to once for warriors kind of thing. You know, everybody mm. has a payday comes, everybody's had, they got some money in their pocket. You know, have a few drinks, this, that, and then midway you hear them getting a bit louder, and then, then at the end of the night, you know, about ten between 10:30, one o'clock in the morning, things are smashing, people are screaming, and there's broken glass, and every now and then some some blood on the floor. Maybe mm. you might see a set of false teeth, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, I guess moving moving out of primary school, did things change when you went to high school? Or when you were high school age, I should say. Um, geez, not not really, because yeah, yeah, the generation that come before you, the generation that comes after them, they just follow suit. Yeah. You know, um, I, my dad died when I was only young, and then like I lived everywhere else but home, but everywhere else I stayed, they were doing the same thing, drinking and fighting and being broken, being crook and and having no money and skin and not sending kids to school if any time, but sending kids to school empty stomachs or, mm. you know, getting getting a flog for not going to school, but how do you go to school with when mm. you got nothing, you know? Yeah. So, like, the alcoholism, growing up, um, uh, like, with mum grew, grew up without her parents, like, in the, in the homes by being part of Stylings. And I grew up, up with, without mine, basically, you know? Mum was always... Kind of absent, you know, um, and dad died like when I was 10, but then there was that real, there was never any peaks and valleys, it was always just kind of just valleys. We'd only have good times every now and then when there was only just some money in the house. We'd go yabby and we'd go do this, go do that. And but, um, yeah, no, like I said, um, you foster or you adopt the the life of the, the, the generation that comes before you. Mm. And, like, what I'm trying to do now is is, is just for me, because my, my children are all young young adults now, so I'm trying to change my life first and foremost for me. Yep. And hopefully that they follow that 
generation that I'm trying to lead for them because, and I'm, and I'm, I'm I feel like I'm doing it by myself, but I'm doing it for myself. And if I do it like that, then I'm doing it in a real, honest and authentic kind of way. And but with the hope that other people follow that lead. Yeah. And and that's it's just but I've got really good supports now that I'm trying to do something positive, like my partner and my family and, and and the ones that are always trying to support you, when they see you doing well, when you when you fall it if they forge you forward, so it's yeah, yeah. I, like I'm I, I'm I'm really at a really really positive but really good productive state of mind at the moment. So yeah, there's. Um, my focus and, and a lot of my um, concentration is, is on solution-based stuff rather than, you know, rehashing you know, the, the, the things that make the problem. Yep. So what I, what I did is um, I, I did a lot of reading, a lot of research, and, and through that sort of stuff, trying to find a lot of bit of just... Not really self-discovery because you're always there, like this revelation of self kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So with with that, just just trying to just build upon one thing. And the thing I found out, which was really really um, freed my spirit and, and opened my eyes to myself was once I discovered the reasons why I drank or used to excess. It was easier to reduce and then abstain because I, I hadn't had a drink for oh, geez, last last year in December was like 12 or 13 years, and because drinking was always in me up, like in, in trouble or you know driving a car drunk or, or or having a fight with somebody, yeah, and not knowing what happened the night before. So when I discovered the reasons why I drank to excess, I just stopped. But yet my drug use continued, and now I'm sort of trying to work out what would I get from it, rather than seeing the alcoholism, alcohol abuse, or the drug abuse as the enemy. Looking at it as as like almost um you know like a like a like a cure to a reason why I did it in the first place. Yeah. And that's that's that that for me is 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 the remedy to, to healing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, the, the longer I'm involved with alcoholism, drug addiction, things like that, the better I understand that it nearly always starts with some sort of mental health issue like depression or anxiety or something that yeah. needs a solution. And the easy solution is alcohol or drugs. Mm. And then that becomes a problem. And that becomes a bigger problem than the original problem. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So, um, did you? What about relationships then? Growing up, relationships with with friends or I, I I've got a really really good like friendship group that I I um had from from school. I still got, I still got mates that I knew from prep that I know from prep, you know, yeah. and and um like friends outside of the family and in the water community. Right, I've I've still got great friendships with them because during during my, the history of my life where I've been in trouble or I've I've been really really like, and the only way I can say it honestly is is been really really hurt by the events of historically of my life. Yeah, they're the ones that's always got me back. Yeah. and like I got a um, I got a sister that she's there for me no matter what, you know. Mm. And and now, and then I always have. She's always been there. But now I've got a partner that I realise that loves me just unconditionally. Once I start revealing myself and and don't mm. sabotage myself because I I, don't, I believe I don't deserve the good life that we have together because of historically the house I grew up in was always you know. Oh, how do you say it? Like Chaotic. This, probably, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I was, I was trying to think of a worse word than that. <laughs> Chaotic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but this is the thing. In that mm. chaos, I sat comfortably in it, mm. and that's that that that's the um, that's that's 
that's the way I looked at it, you know, if I wasn't in that chaos, I didn't feel on edge or, or wasn't high alert, I didn't feel like I, I, I was alive, I didn't belong. Mm. And I, I did a few stints in jail, was um, when I felt right at home, because mm. the environment's high intensive environment, there's always something going to go on, or this, that, the other, and you're always on high alert, so that's where, I, that's where yeah. my default position from early childhood, you know, and uh, one thing you learn about that, you learn to read everybody, you know, you're very good at feeling people's energies, you're good at observation, like you can pick from one one end of the yard in prison to the other end of the yard, who's going to clash? You can, we yeah. sit there and just, mm. we talk about it, it's, it's, like yeah. that, it's the body language and it's the energy and all that sort of stuff. So, growing up in a, in like a chaotic home, it's going to sound weird, had a disadvantage when I ended up in jail. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's about learning survival skills in that, Thing. Yeah, you, you yeah. learn how to survive in that dysfunctional environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and the survival mechanism was either become invisible or be really good reader of people. Yeah, yeah and um, no, no, I never was a, a kid to try and please everybody. It's to try and you know get it fine on the radar. I was, I was just by the time we, we we shifted houses from where I was originally taken back to after um, I was born, shifted house. I was that used to it when people would fight. Beating fish and chips or something on Friday night, sitting on the couch, and people thought, I just move my feet and just look around and watch the TV. That's how it got. I laugh about it now, but but the, the thing is, this is a weird thing that you, I know. I know many many listeners who understand. You don't get scared. No. Because you're used to it. Yeah. You just <clears> don't get scared. <throat> yeah. So it's but as a, as an adult. If I thought about my children or my grandchildren being exposed to that, I would lose my mind. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, it's but pretty me, frightening, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. me as like yeah. a six or seven-year-old, I was just <laughs> if, you know, Roadrunner show was on, I just wanted to look around the corner and just watch what was going on. Mm. It's yeah. my age, Roadrunner show, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so we might take a short break there. We've got a song first up. Uh, it's called Running for Days by a group called Cars Have Faces and it's courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project.
all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason to be screaming out, where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the Constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to, to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got. But it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to 3CR, fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377. These hands be stitching time interwoven lines collide, in mesh, connect, live real times in it. Keeping away from those to be hating on it. This is how we be in our everyday house. What, what? This is curator from Ill Level. You listen to Black and Deadly. That's how we deal with the handmade. Got my finger on the tip. You can't cut this with a ten blade. That's how we deal with the handmade. Smooth like curator lioness. Covered out. That's how, that's how we deal with the handmade. Got my finger on the tip. You can't cut this with a ten blade. That's how we deal with the handmade. Uh, welcome back. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you'd like to listen to one of our many podcasts of the show, uh, you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just uh, search for 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact us via 3CR or via email. Today I'm talking with James and we're talking about how AA and NA and Gally Amble have helped in his recovery from drug and alcohol addiction. Um, so, James, before the break, we were talking about growing up in an interesting family. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I just want to talk to you a little bit about how different your life is, well, was then, from your life today. So what sort of things did you do as a kid um, back then? Oh, well, just a... I do a lot of things, you know. Um, like I said earlier, I got a, had a big f- friendship group. Where, oh, I had friends that were like black kids or white kids, or rich or poor, you know. And um, I was, like I said, you know, a footy. Um, uh, I suppose narrowed the gap between those yep. those things. Um, but, but like I said, you know, as a like as a like early teen. Like, we'd play footy and then go to the Blue Lights Friday night and obviously run by the Jacks and that, you know. And uh, you'd go there drunk. You'd go, go there drunk, you know, or whatever. And because everybody else did it, you know, get, didn't get reprimanded for being drunk or, you know, you become a resource to people you know, older than you to, to get them alcohol or money or this or mm. stuff. Like, um, I, was, I was a pretty good thief. Growing up, you know, uh, like I was to break into stuff, and like, I'd, um, if we never had any money, I'd, I'd go and break into like a bowls club or something and, and steal the money, and then go and buy like cask wine and sit at the at the race course and, and, and drink, you know. Mm. And because I was the, the kid that never had any boundaries, like I was like a just ran wild, you know, just hardly went to school. And one thing I was dedicated to was, was playing footy, you know, because yeah. it, was, it, was it was a release. I was only like, um, I was either Rover or Ruck Rover, or I, I played like some key positions because I could play footy, and because I wasn't afraid of anything, you know, like I said earlier. But, um, <clears throat> growing up, growing up, I was like, yeah, I Stayed everywhere, you know, live with my sisters. Every now and then, I'd stay with my mum, but live with mates. And I actually <clears throat> stayed in a lot of places, but never really lived anywhere growing up. When, yeah. If that makes any sense. Um. <clears throat> uh, like I said, I was always doing something. I was always doing something because I grew up in a very chaotic house, and that breeds into a chaotic lifestyle. And <clears throat> when there's um. 
there's no rules and no no one to implement these kind of things like you should go to school you shouldn't drink this at the other you, you, you grow up or you manage your life the best way you know how and that's to not manage it at all you mm. know um <clears throat> yeah, um for, so you asked me a question you know when, when do i leave, leave home you know earlier i didn't really live at home you know mm. when i mean when when dad passed away it was just non-existent, you know. Um, then sister's house becomes the place where everybody gathered and all that sort of stuff. And um, like I had, like, uh, if I wasn't playing footy or anything, I was drinking. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was drinking because everybody else did. You know, I'm 15 years old, sitting in in the pub where I grew up, in the in there, and I'd be allowed to because I played footy. Yeah, you know, yeah. it'd be unpopular for the publican to say, "Look, he can't have a beer." Well, you know, he, of course he can. You know, I've got the president of the club buying fifteen-year-old kid beers because he plays yeah. f- senior footy yeah. at the time. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I, I, I um, we go back a couple of years. I, I um, I, I had gotten a lot of trouble with the law. You mm. know, um, so where did that take you? Was that getting in trouble with the law? Yeah. Like court, a lot of court, a lot of um, probations. Um, uh, I got, I, this is a funny thing, right? I was locked up when I was a teenager, and nobody in the family ever knew I was gone. Because <laughs> right. I lived everywhere. Yeah. They didn't think to, yeah. yeah. And, um, and this is the thing, I don't carry any resentment around about that because. My life, you can I can look at it through a, a dim set of glasses, or I can look at it through a lived experience. Mm. And I'd rather take that perspective and look at it like that because it's developed and enhanced an understanding of of what a, what a, what a what a boy can do when he's left to his devices to make him into who he is. Mm. And that's that's what I'm trying to do. Try to separate those things out that cause problems for me that that that, that do have merit to them. Mm. And try and, I suppose, transmute those over into a, a positive lifestyle as a can-do attitude. Mm. So, like, oh, I, I did a lot of, but I got locked up plenty when I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, woke up in this in the cells, had no idea why I was there. Had me, I've had my stomach pumped like, uh, I had my stomach pumped like three or four times when I was about 14, 15. Wow, goodness. You know? And that's that's pretty hectic. That's pretty you know? traumatic. Yeah. But we, we, we were drinking cast wine, yeah, yeah. and then we were just holding it up, just drinking it, this that. And um, you know, like I, 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 kids early. I was only eighteen when had my first son, and mm. second son, third daughter I was twenty two, and, and another another kid, another daughter of my first relationship. Um, and unfortunately, we had a had a death of one of our children. A third child, and I was only like 22, and she actually passed away in in my arms. And um, God, I'll tell you what, that takes you somewhere where you just don't know. You just yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So you try to take care of yourself, you try to take care of everybody else, and you try to think. And but the thing is, you hold them too close. It's like a cake of soap. You're holding it too too tight, too close. It slips mm. out of your hands, mm. and you try and reach for it all the time, and it just gets away from you. That's the only best best way I could describe mm. it. Mm. But um, like when when my daughter passed away, and I was in, I said, I always go from life to death. It was like watching a, a car back out of the driveway going into the dark, you mm. know. Mm. And then wasn't there, and then I had to deal with that when I was 22 years old. So mm. I sat in the hospital with her, and, uh, and I nursed her from like it was, I think it was, it was like 10 past three in the morning, because I, mean, I was that. And the thing is, it happened around a significant event that happens in like the world, which is Melbourne Cup, happened around that, mm. that time of the year. So every time that comes up, yeah, I know when it is. Yeah, you know, it's not hard. You know, it's it's, it's um, it's like. It's not hard to be reminded of it. So after that, I just I went from grog to hitting drugs. Like like my first experience with, with speed was I was 15, you know. 
and then boom, and because I, I knew how it made you feel, so when that happened, I was just like loading up all the time and just doing it not to try and kill myself, but doing it to try, to try and survive all the hurt from the history and then the hurt I was feeling currently, and then just like you know, no way out. <clears throat> and somebody goes, "Oh, how do you deal with it?" You know, you don't. Mm. You don't ever deal with it. No. You don't well, learn to live with it. You, yeah. you just you just live. It's just trauma, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, wow. Like, like, I said, like I'm in the 50s now, and, and I still have trouble with that on a daily. I can't, <clears throat> you know, just look at a, a, a baby in a humidity crib on, on TV. I have to turn, I have to turn around away from it. Because... Um, the darkness in the eyes, the last, the last breath, you know, they exhale and then it's just done and it's over and the nurse tells you, you know, this, that. So mm. I said, look, um, get the get the tub and I'll bath her and I'll dress her and lots of stuff and then I'll sat with her and until the sun come up because um, you don't want somebody that's helpless to go off into the night by themselves, you know. So mm. I sat with her until yep. it was daylight, then felt the warmth on her face. I'll give her a kiss, and I'd give her back to the, the nurse in intensive care in the Royal Melbourne. And, and that was that was it. Now, I did everything for the funeral. I was only 22 years old, you know. Mm. So I was a kid. I mean, it's one of the most... It's probably the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to me. You know, a lot yeah. of stuff happened to me as a child. Yeah. But nothing equates to that as a father with... So I just hit the drugs, like, super hard and just continued to do it, Mm. you know, and then that relationship dissolved and I had another relationship but two more kids and because of all the trauma I've suffered in my life, those kind of things don't work out either. And as much as you love them and you want them to work out, they just don't, you know. Um, I spent a lot of my adult, early 20s and adult life, like, just in this mist... No, no, mist. Mist is too good. It's like a fog, mm. a fog in quicksand in a mire with all this stuff around you, you know, mm. and you just can't get out. And what got me out of it? What do I survive? How I survived is I went to jail. And one thing I've never done, never touched a drug in jail. Went to jail, <clears throat> went to jail a few times, and if anything, jail saved me life. You know, because it gives you that stillness and it gives you that security of having somewhere to live. You have access to programs. There's other brothers and that in there. You know, there's stuff there where you can ring your families, write letters or whatever. And you learn about yourself and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, um, it's, it's, you skip over a lot of stuff, right, when you do it because you're just trying to survive. But now, thanks to Gally Amble, <clears throat> I've got time to sit and reflect and discover not why all this sort of stuff happens, but what what's what can I benefit from it? Mm, yeah. You know, what can I benefit from it? And and I um well the, the workers here and I we have conversations at length, you know, with substance and foundation and, and of my partner's really good support, my children are really good supports. And it's because I'm still in the community and having access to these people, mm. and I don't, and I, and I really don't, I don't resent anything from the past that's that's been that other people would see as problematic. I see it as <clears throat> lived experience. It is, yeah. Experience is really, it's it's what you've been through. So you, yeah, you know, you survived it. Mm. Yep. Yeah. 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 So I'm just trying, trying to, not not trying. I'm living beyond that, and making a life. For myself, because I'm relatively healthy for all the stuff I've put myself through, and, and all the stuff other people have put me through too. But yeah. uh, like, um, <clears throat> my current partner, like, we travelled here earlier in the week, and she, um, we we have some great conversations, and like, she's this like this. Well-educated individual that if we're ever invaded by an alien force from outer space, I'd say this is how good we can be. This is this person that I want to put in front of you, all of you. Yeah. So you don't decimate, you know, the human race because this is this is this is our potential. This is potentially who we can be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> okay, listen, we might take a short break there. Um, I've got another song. This one's called uh, "Journey of Your Life" by the Hope River Band. 
nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella, it doesn't matter what you colour. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What your name is, we got to have lots of changes. We need more brothers. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Ah, welcome back. Um, so one thing I need to raise with you today is uh, subscribing. Um, 3CR needs subscribers. Um, they keep us on air. And the thing is that <clears throat> 3CR provides Living Free with the ability to showcase very positive messages about recovery from addictions. And we do this by sharing uh, personal recovery stories. Uh, we do it live and we do it through podcasts. So if you'd like to support 3CR as a subscriber, we'd, be really, we'd really appreciate that. And that would help us keep us on air and keep our message out there. We know that shared stories saves lives and that's what we're doing today. I'm talking with James, and we're talking about his recovery from alcohol and drug addiction, and uh, through AA, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, and with the help of Gally Amble. So, James, do you want to talk about? Uh, I, I understand you've you've tried recovery a few times, but I guess how Gally Amble's helped you approach recovery. Oh. First and foremost, Gallian will give you somewhere to have clean time in the community, which is like I mentioned, um, as a res- residential rehab. I was there like in the early like 2000s. Uh, I've been there twice in the last couple of years. Um, I just I find it really hard to live in the community because. I've done so much jail, and um, I used to think my my home was in prison. <laughs> and then yeah. because I've done so much in my life, rather than lived out in the, in the community, um, this time I was out. Um, I got locked up just just before Christmas last year, year before, for um, failing to appear in a 
and Lord, they, had, they had, didn't even get a, um, a summons, you know. And they locked me up and I got out in, um, I think it was March. And then I stayed out for a while and I got locked back up in, um, I think it was June and July. And then when I was in jail, I rang, rang Gally Amble. I'm going to put on my me, me phone list and all that sort of stuff because I was just sick of it because I, I know what I need to address. I just had no capacity to address it, you know. Um, you mean on your own? Yeah. On, on my own, no. Yeah. On, on my own, no. No way. Yeah. <sighs> um, and um, I, I rang Gally Amble and I talked to one of the workers there and because I've been there the year before, he goes me, oh, look... When, when you come here this time, we will, we'll think about talking to you. If you come here this time, you really need to focus and um, need to address the things that that we think that you failed to address last time. And with that, I'll crack the sheets. I'll, can I say that? Yeah. With that, I'll crack the sheets. And, and I hung the phone up, you know, because it was the truth, and truth hurt. So I rang back, and it was a little while back, same day I rang back, and I said, oh, look, you know, sorry hanging up, and, you know, thanks for that. I'll, I'll thank the... the the work that told me what I needed to hear, and we worked towards getting me bailed to Gally Amble from where I was on remand. You know, done all the assessments, kept in contact. I rang Gally Amble nearly every day, almost every day. And when I was there, the last time I was there, I didn't ring him once. It was suggested to me by my lawyer. Um, but people think, you know, you don't, you don't know you're ready until you're ready. You know, and I've heard that so many times over the years, yeah. It's, it's true, you know, it's true. Yeah. And um, I, I got to Gally Amber, I'd done the, the, the video um, link with me lawyer in court and done the, the assessment and all that sort of stuff. And it got me there and then um, got picked up by... One of the workers at Gallium will come and come and got me and went went there and um settled in and man just 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 got into it you know the, the, as you say it's a twelve step program it's it's AA and NA and it's uh, predominantly a, a men's original healing centre you know and there's there's a lot of things here that you can like do to um, I suppose to help yourself but if you're not in the capacity to do it they provide the, the the right things to do it, so you can just become still enough to see what road you want to take. And mm. it does; it takes a few times. But um, this this time there, it's like I'm there with the full support of of every team member at Gally Amble. I feel, I feel like I've got them in my corner. Mm. You know, whereas last month I was mucked around this that and I was. I don't know. I have no idea what I was doing last time I was there. But they, they got me there and they they persevered with me. Yeah. And that's a, and it's it's it touches your heart because it, the same workers there as there last time they persevere with you. Don't ever they don't ever write people off, mm. right? Don't ever write people off. You know there was a guy at Galley today that was there early on the piece when I had just come there. And he was there talking to one of the workers, and they've always got time for people who are coming off the street, and some former clients can come there and have something to eat, and and I I predominantly go to the to the Gallium meetings. It's um it's Tuesday night. Um now it's around at the I think it's an early childhood centre around in uh, Elston Week or something like that, or mm. Elwood. Um, uh, and because I'm from the country, I don't know. The, the <laughs> <laughs> um. And then Thursday nights, same. And and those two meetings, sitting down with with the the guys from Galley and the and the, and the ladies from Winter and the, the support workers and that sort of stuff. And um, <clears throat> and a lot of support workers that that that, that are at the meetings, they they they've recovered themselves as well. So yeah, you're not yeah. you're not talking or you're not exposing yourself to people that that don't know. And because you can read a room, you can tell what you know yeah. what they're thinking or if, and. Sometimes when you're when in AA or in A meeting, it's not like an open discussion. But when it's us, because it's mm. it, it's it's so intimate, we become like, we ask the correct questions that we're curious about. Because and nobody, that when we go over to other meetings, that sort of stuff, the, we go to other meetings and, and participate. And we also and um, you just feel 
you actually feel that they want you to succeed, so it encourages you to succeed yourself. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you. Um, so I'd, I'd also like to talk about relationships. You've talked about you know, partner. How how did your relationship change with your partner through um, recovery pr- through the recovery process? Uh, well, yeah, I had to realise that growing up the way I grew up, when things got well, I wasn't comfortable with things being okay. So mm. I would sabotage yeah. or, or, or whatever else to try and have that relationship. I knew I'd still be in it. It's that, that's the messed up part about it. I knew mm. I'd still be in it because my, my partner loves me like, like unconditionally, like I said. And um, having hard conversations around that while you're in a safe environment to do so. It's it's hard. It's hurtful. It's it's it it, it um. You don't like nobody likes being being vulnerable, right? And a lot of people associate vulnerability with with fear. Um, I don't because I, I care about my, my partner and our children, and the the behaviours that I was demonstrating before I come to Galley, they were the things that would push them further and further away. Mm. Yeah. So. Trying to heal and maintain a relationship that I myself I predominantly sabotaged and, and made it implode. It's about having the safe space and to be reassured by being in the groups and talking to other blokes to say these things to your partner that you know that she's going to be receptive on. You worry about being rejected by it. So the vulnerability thing, because as I said earlier, you're always, you're always in a safe, safe space. And you want to try these things out and you know, say your apologies, talk about this, and you say stuff that you've said before. But the way your voice resonates and comes across, you know it's for real. And the good thing is that they know it's real as well. Yeah. And there's, yeah. there used to be urgency around it. When, you, when you're urgent towards something, you fumble around with it and you drop it. And unfortunately, you either break it and you have to repair it and put it back together and sometimes it's missing pieces. Yeah. But you take the urgency out of something. It becomes more malleable and, and, and you can handle it better. and with, Not with kit gloves, but with gloves that you can actually feel it with. And that's what brought my relationship to the point of where it's at now. And because my relationship's stable, I feel more confident in continuing down the road that and pursuing the things that I believe that would put my life or enhance it to a degree that I would not be happy. Not, I don't think anybody's ever happy because it's worked through, but that I would be comfortable with. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So what about with the kids now? How's it? How's your relationship changed with your with your children? Ah, oh, mate. I, I love my kids. I love my grandkids. Like I, I'm just a big kid myself. So yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can see that. <laughs> so our, our relationships, yeah, you know. Some some kids, you know, they, they got their own lives, so you leave them to tend to themselves, this, that, the other. And um, <clears throat> and I, I love, like, hearing about my kids being successful in the things they, they choose to do. And then, the, um, like, I was, like, just on the the weekend just passed, I was seeing my, my second oldest son and his kids and that. And um, muck around the pool and just... just, just do those those normal things, you know, mm. that that actually you see that you that you like doing. But the thing is, right, doing them now, there's, there's no alcohol involved, there's no drugs involved, there's no no one smoking dope, uh, there's no raised voices. There's there's just that mm. it's just smooth sailing, you know. It's just and <clears throat> and um like I did something on the week, you know, I've done for like a hundred years. It feels like to me, I changed a nappy. Okay. <laughs> oh mate, that's, that's trippy. But um, but the, the relationship with it, with everybody, because everybody's lost transparent. When you're using drugs or drinking, you're always hiding something. Yeah, yeah. But when you reveal yourself to the world, you know, and 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 everybody's open and receptive to what you're trying to achieve, your relationships, you don't have to work on them because they just they form they just form anyway. Mm. You know, it's like um, you know, it's just it's just like. Pouring two bottles of water into one bowl, it just it just mixes. It's just just right, you know. It's, mm. it's, it's just it's just great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Not, come to understand that you're the problem. You're the one who's mixing it up. You're yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm the one that's on the trampoline, <laughs> double bouncing everybody. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good analogy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so what's next for you then? Um, so, what do you see after leaving Gally Amble? What's what's your next stage? Uh, hopefully to get into some study because I'm I'm very um I'm very uh, apprehensive around study because I, I haven't done it for years you know yep. I really didn't do it when I was meant to be doing it yeah so hopefully study some stuff um I want to try and do some some short courses online so there's no pressure and there's no urgency because I suppose like anybody with my background as soon as there's urgency and pressure involved it mm. collapses. Mm. So I'm just trying to do stuff like that at my own pace, and I've I've got a meeting tomorrow with a bloke that's going to try and give me um, some advice around the things I need to study just to get my foot in the door in, in potential um, employment opportunities. And that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's um, yeah. So I like I said earlier, I, like I I got my licence had been expired for a couple of years. I got it in the mail yesterday. Yeah. And it's like getting a birth certificate. You know, it's, it's just proof that you exist. And I was so happy with it. I've got to be there going with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really good. Um, <clears throat> okay. If anybody would like to, like to find out more about the Galliamble Men's Recovery Centre, uh, you can go online at ngwala.org.au and you can also find out more about Narcotics Anonymous at na.org.au and about Alcoholics Anonymous at aa.org.au So that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank James for sharing his recovery in AA and NA and also talk about the Gallian Men's Recovery Centre. Uh, so thanks James. Alright, thanks for having me. Um, we also have with us Damien, who'd like to say something to us. Damien. Yeah, how are you Bill? I'd just like to give our, uh, our Gallian meetings a bit of a plug. The uh, Narcotics Anonymous meeting, 7.30 Tuesday nights, and the Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, 7.30 Thursday nights at the Elwood Learning Centre, 87 Tennyson Street, Elwood. Okay. Thanks, Bill. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. I uh, hope you'll be able to join us again next week when Anne will bring you another recovery story. Uh, coming up next, we've got Balanoir, The Spirit of War, hosted by Uncle Telgum Choco Edwards. Join Uncle Choco and The Spirit of War on a journey of belonging and movement through singlongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. And to take us out, we've got a song called uh, Rare Phenomenon uh, by Rare Phenomenon. Uh, that's courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. <laughs>
listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.